Our Old Testament reading today is from Deuteronomy chapter 26, verses 16 through 19. It can be found on page 167 in the Bibles we provide and on page 40 of the children's Bibles. I'll give you a second to turn. This day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared today that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules and will obey his voice. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession as he has promised you and that you are to keep all his commandments and that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor high above all nations that he has made and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God as he has promised. This is the word of the Lord. And our New Testament reading today is from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, verses 11 through 17. It can be found on page 984 in the Bibles we provide and on page 288 of the children's Bibles. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another and, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called to be one in the body, and be thankful, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Sermon text for uh, this morning is Acts chapter 2. Verses 42 through 47, we found on page 911 in the Bibles we provide and 270 in the children's Bibles. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. The Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. This is the word of the Lord. We are continuing our study of the book of Acts. Um, if you've been here a little bit, we did four weeks on kind of now what? Now that we've in this moment of transition in the life of the church, it was important for us to know who the church is. Who was Cedar Springs first? And then as we said, you know what, what else? What would help us as we continue to move forward? And it's to look at the early church, the early church who found itself in a moment of transition, who found itself trying to figure out who it was. And as we look and see how they operate and what they do, I think there's lessons for us to learn as well. And for, you know, as Matt said last week, you know, the book of Acts was written by Luke and Luke kind of, this is a second chapter of what um, his gospel was. Here's what the God's people is doing and more importantly, what the Holy Spirit 
was doing through God's people. And as we kind of see this miraculous thing take place, um, you're probably wondering something. You're going, wait a minute, we're missing a big chunk in the middle. I don't assume that you guys pay attention to what we do from week to week. I think you show up and you listen, but maybe you do. Last week, we ended at verse 11 in chapter one, and today we're at verse 42 of chapter two. It's a big gap there in the middle. We get it, we understand. Part of that is because we realize when we pulled the schedule together that next week is Pentecost Sunday. So rather than teach Pentecost Sunday or Pentecost the week before Pentecost Sunday, we'll just wait a week, right? You guys are flexible. You can handle it. So we're going to do this this week. We're going to go back in time and do Pentecost and then do that next week as the whole church celebrates the coming of the Holy Spirit. But we'd be remiss if we didn't understand how important that played into this. This is the church at work after the Holy Spirit has come and has added this group to their number. And I think it helps us to understand a little of our own hearts to make sense of this. We were all made for community and for connection. We weren't made to kind of be lone rangers and off by ourselves and doing our own thing. And so for us, it is so much a part of our hearts to long to have a place where we belong. Um, When I was working in Memphis, we got to partner with an inner city ministry. It's great joys, great encouragement, loved every part of that. One part of their ministry was to reach out to gang members, people who had lived their lives in gangs and trying to present the gospel to them and to help them understand truth. And I had the privilege of getting to meet with one of these guys and just talk to him. And what was really interesting is I got to ask the kind of question that, you know, the person who knows nothing can ask, how do you start into a gang? Like, how does that become your lifestyle? And he said, you know what? It started really slow. He's like, I was in a single parent home and I was being bullied at school. And these people came around me and said that they understood and say that they had my back and say that they would take care of me. And he said, for months, that's all it was. They spent time with me. They got to know me and they really encouraged me. And it became the place where I really belonged. And then about eight months into it, all of a sudden, everything shifted and changed. All of a sudden, we're now starting to do crimes. All of a sudden, we're starting to hurt people. It's like, at that point, where do you go? This was my people. This was my fellowship. This was my family. And we find ourselves longing for that. Students, kids, you understand this, longing to have a place where you belong with others. People who love you, people who care about you. And that's the context of what we've got here. We have 3,000, the Holy Spirit comes, speaks to the apostles, and 3,000 people were saved that day. Now that is a miracle and that is amazing, but I'm afraid that the American church doesn't have a good context for this. 3,000 people is roughly the size of our church. They're like, oh, okay, that's good, that's great. Keep in mind that the church up until Pentecost was 120 people. The church went from 120 to 3,000 in one day. So for context's sake, imagine that the Holy Spirit, and we pray that the Holy Spirit will come to Knoxville and start a revival in the hearts of people here. We pray that every day. But imagine that that happened, and the next Sunday, 75,000 people tried to be in our church. That's the context. That's how much it multiplied, by 25. So 75,000 people. Fire code would be one of our first issues, I think. But if 75,000 people came to be a part of this fellowship, it would be so interesting to see what we focused on and what we just threw to the side. So as we see this church explode, 
we're gonna look and see what are the things that were most important? What are the things we need to focus on? And what I love is we get to see a picture of the church before it did anything. This is who they were. This was who they were deep in their bones and how they passed that on to this group of people that got added in. Three things that I think we see very clearly in this scripture for us that helps us see what we're supposed to be as the life of the church. One, they were devoted to shared worship. Two, they were devoted to shared lives. Three, they were devoted to a shared mission. And to understand, we've got to figure out what does devoted mean? And it means this in the Greek, it's to continue steadfastly in, to pour your heart into, to make much of, to persist in greatly. It was this idea that this was the most important thing in their life. And what I love is it says that they devoted themselves. It wasn't a guilt trip put on by the church. It was this idea that they realized this is what we have to be about if we're gonna be true followers of Jesus Christ. And this undying, undistracted, this is what matters most, this devotion, this clear priority, this clear precedence in their lives. They were devoted to this. And it wasn't something they were gonna start you know, well and then, and then not finish. I have to confess, I am great at starting things. I can start anything. I can start, I mean, I started one time trying to learn to play the guitar. It was awesome. I was great. The first two weeks, unbelievable. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, man, you couldn't believe. Then it got hard. There's so many chords. Do you realize this? I can't play the guitar anymore. I do that at projects at home. I get really excited about starting something. And then the first curveball gets thrown in and my excitement wanes quite a bit. And usually by the second or third curveball, we've just quit completely. It's like, well, it was a good idea. The idea of the church here was they were gonna continue steadfastly from beginning to end in these things. They were devoted to them. They were the most important things that they were gonna be about. Started with shared worship. Said so they were committed to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And the definite articles, I'm a big believer in the original languages, language matters, words matter. Everything, there's no placeholders. So when they're talking about the fellowship, the apostles teaching, it's distinctive. It's something different. Notice the church wasn't about just any teaching. It wasn't just about whoever had some kind of thing they wanted to share stood up but it was the apostles teaching that they had a unique role in the life of the church because they were eyewitnesses to Jesus Christ. They saw him, they heard him, they smelled him, they touched him. There was something deep and beautiful. They lived a life with him for three years. So when people wanted to inquire, what does it mean to know Christ? They knew. And that God even encouraged it by these signs and wonders that were going on through the apostles to give them even more credence to their teaching. And some would say when they, when they talk about this passage, like, oh, well, the apostles' teaching is preaching. I would never in a million years equate me with them. I'm not an apostle. I'm a disciple. I'm not an apostle. They have a unique understanding. They had a unique experience that trumps anybody else's. 
So for those of y'all that are in here, what you need to make sure to know about any church, if you ever go to a different church, for those of y'all that are you know, students and children, and someday you may go to college, or you may move to another job, or you may find a church that preaches the Bible. Don't find a church that's got lights, camera, action, and the person just is really kind of winsome and talks about themselves all the time and quotes poetry. You don't need that. You need the Bible. When it says the apostles' teaching, our way to have the apostles' teaching is written out for us and we have it in our hands. It's God's word. So it says they were devoted to God's word, devoted to that which was handed to them. And they were taught day by day about Jesus Christ and about the gospel. We need to be devoted to to God's word, to know it and to obey it, to massage it deeply into every corner of our lives. It doesn't need to be a thing we do every once in a while. It needs to be an everyday occurrence that we are committed and devoted to God's word, which is the apostles' teaching. They were also committed to the fellowship, koinonia. And this idea of of this shared life, shared purpose, shared vision, that they all had these things in common. That's what that word means. That they had a deeper connection than this idea of, well, we kind of sort of agree on things. It wasn't just that they were sort of in the same location. It was this deep connection and understanding. And think about this. This church was multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-languages. There were a thousand things that would try to keep them from being connected to each other. They lived in different places. They had different cultures. They spoke different languages. The socioeconomics were all askew and off. And yet they were together in deep fellowship because that which connected them was way stronger than that that might separate them. And that was Christ Jesus. And this, we see this, we see this play out every day, don't we? We see it most commonly in sports. I mean, there's, if you've ever been to a Tennessee football game, there's a wide range of people. That's, that's the nice way to say that. There's a wide range of people at a UT football game. You know, people that think teeth are important and people who don't. There's a wide like birth of people at Tennessee football games. There's socioeconomic differences. There seem to be language differences sometimes. Still in English, but maybe not. But when kickoff happens at a UT football game, they are united together in chorus to Rocky Top, aren't they? But it's not just in our sports. That's one example. Think about our culture. Think about how this idea of different people coming together in community towards a common purpose permeates everything. Highest grossing movies of all time, okay? Movies like Avatar. Again, Aliens, people, common purpose. Star Wars, wide variety of people together, common purpose. Avengers, weird, wild, different groups of people, different thoughts, common purpose. Titanic even, I mean, I know this is gonna sound crazy. Different people, different socioeconomic background, all trying to get off the boat. Still still a purpose. All of those stories that capture our hearts, Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring, this mix together of people. Chronicles of Narnia, when they go to battle, animals and people. It is so prevalent because that is what we're drawn to. 
We are drawn to see this connection of people that have no reason or make no sense to be together except for a common purpose. It gives us a picture of heaven, which is to come when every tribe and tongue and nation will be there praising Jesus Christ. That deep fellowship that this church enjoyed. The beauty to see the picture of that. They were devoted to each other, regardless of what may have tried to keep them apart. They were devoted to the Lord's table. They were devoted to the breaking of the bread. That's the idea of the, the definite article there, points us directly to communion. This idea that they were constantly being reminded of Christ's work and they were doing that in community together and to the prayers. This was a praying church. Before they had plans, they had prayers. They didn't have a plan of what to do with all these people yet, but they knew to get people praying. We should always be in constant prayer for this body, for ourselves, for our church, but never more than in a season like this. We need to devote ourselves to seeing what God wants to do in this season of our church's life, to pray daily for our pastoral search team as they search for the next senior pastor, to pray for ourselves and our leadership that we might be faithful to what God has called us to do rather than sit on the sidelines and wait for what is to come. The early church wasn't sitting there reflecting on how great Pentecost was. They were moving ahead on how they could have more of Christ. And again, where the words matter, they did this together. We in the Western church have it all backwards and wrong. We think our relationship with Jesus is a personal matter between us and him. It is always meant to be in community and connection. Look at the ands. Again, the words matter. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. If the apostles' teaching is the Bible, you can read the Bible on your own and should, but you can't have fellowship by yourself impossible. It says to the prayers, you can pray by yourself. The breaking of the bread is done as a family in community. He makes these clear distinctions that there might be things that you could do as an individual, but the call to worship is always us together. And if we don't do all these things, we're missing out. If we don't have good teaching and understand the apostles' teaching for us, we will not be able to stand up against our enemy and against the world. If we don't have good community, good fellowship together, shared life, common purpose, we will feel isolated and alone. If we're not about remembering what Christ did for us by taking communion, we may be tempted to forget the most important thing we have to know. And if we're not people of prayer, we find ourselves geared towards pride, that it's all about us and all about our energy. Shared worship. Next was shared lives. It says that they were together. In the Greek, it actually means they were the same. They were of like heart and like mind. And it wasn't just together like we're together now. We're all here. There was a physical aspect of it, absolutely. But there was a spiritual aspect of it. There's a spiritual thought that they were of the same heart, same mind, working together. And because they did that, they saw each other and their possessions differently. It said that as they saw people with need, that they sold their goods and their possessions. They sold those things that they had to give to those who needed it. And there's a sense in which it's like, well, was the early church just really poor? Did it just really speak to the disenfranchised people? Yes, in some ways it does. 
But also think about this. These people came to celebrate Passover and stuck around. They stuck around to hear about this stuff about Jesus. They heard for the first time and they're staying. They're leaving old life behind, jobs, fields, families, and they're staying in this community. So they need things to survive. And they were not afraid to look and to see what was necessary and willing to give up whatever they had because they were family. Think about it in your own house. Now you probably eat, you know, have a room that you call your room. You probably have a chair that you sit in you know, to eat meals, but you don't parse out all the possessions in your house amongst your family, I don't think. I don't think you go, oh no, no, you're not allowed to touch that couch, that's my couch. No one else can touch the couch, my couch. My remote, no, 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 my remote. I paid for that remote, you can't touch the remote. You know, sit on the floor. Actually, you know what? I paid for the floor. Don't sit on the floor either. Just find somewhere else to go. No, you can't have a snack out of the refrigerator. My refrigerator, my food in the refrigerator. We don't do that as families. Do, well, I hope we don't do that as families. I don't want awkward Mother's Day. Okay. But that's, they saw each other as family. So the idea is you need something, you got it. Because it's not mine anyway. They could share so faithfully because they realized that had been shared with them by God. He had been so gracious to give them. So it's easy to have open hands and to say, this belongs to you. No matter that the world may call that costly, it's okay. Because as we talked about how where our devotion is, our devotion plays itself out, not in what we say, but in what we do. You may say that I'm devoted to Christ. I'm devoted to Christ's people. I'm devoted to these things. Your life is only reflective of what your heart believes. There was a time I was challenged by a mentor early on and said, you know what? This is what I want you to do. I want you to ask your kids, what are the five most important things in your life? I didn't do it. There's no way I was going to do that in a million years. I didn't want to know. But the fear that welled up in me was like, okay, Andrew, what are the five most important things? Um, if someone lived in my life for a week, they would know that I love to be entertained. I love to watch movies. I love to watch TV. I love to read books, play games. I love to be entertained. I love to be well-fed. I love a good meal, people optional. I mean, I love all that. That's, that's important. I love things to be easy. I love to relax. I like to work hard, but when the hard work is done, I love to rest. I love to be by myself. As an introvert, I need by myself time. I love by myself time. I love comfort. I love respect. Those were the things that I saw as themes in my life that my actions always work towards those things that if there was a choice to be made, I would rather watch Tennessee football than about a thousand other things. And it showed. For you, what are those things that you're devoted to that play out in your life? What would someone say who doesn't know your faith? Could they see your faith in the way that you live like these people? Kids, you need to tell your parents the five things that they're most important in their lives. Okay, do that to them. At lunch today, just say, mom and dad, here are the things that we see are the most important things. Maybe not mom, give mom a break till tomorrow. <laughs> just dad, let's just do it to dad today. They had this shared life, things in common. They cared about each other, they took care of their needs. 
And you know how they could do that? Because they knew each other's needs. There was a deep relational connection so that they would go to each other's homes and they would break bread together. This wasn't a once in a week thing. This was a daily thing. Relationships together as the family of God. And what breaks my heart at this church so often, a church this large, I, if I could do anything, I wish I knew every single one of you by name. I wish I knew every single one of you and what burdened your heart that I could pray for you that I can encourage you, that I can help you. I can't do that. But we long for that. Many of you have been in this church and I found out about these things later and you have been struggling financially and you don't know that we have a good Samaritan fund that helps people in that exact same situation. Some of you have lost your jobs and you don't know where to turn. You've been unemployed for a long period of time and don't know that we have a jobs club that helps people find jobs, encourages them. Many of you are struggling with difficult things. There are hard things going on in your life, be it illness, be it just different issues that come up. And we have a Stephen ministry that says they would love to have someone come alongside you and help you and encourage you for as long as it takes. Many of you have struggled in your marriages and we find out about it when they've already divorced or separated or way down the path. Can I just be honest? Marriage is hard. It's super hard. My wife is shaking her head up and down like crazy over there. Hard. And anyone who tells you that marriage isn't hard is lying or selling something. So can we just be honest with each other? If you are struggling and your marriage is struggling, let us know. We have officers, we have staff, we've got people who would long to give of what they have. Will they fix it? Will it all be okay? I, no, I don't know. But we're willing to walk alongside. We have licensed counselors on staff, for heaven's sakes. We want that from you. If you're struggling with your kids, if you're struggling in parenting, there's a whole host of people who've screwed up way worse than you ever could. So let us be an encouragement to you. Let us tell you all the things we did wrong so you'll feel good about yourself. Help us, help you. We long to take care of your needs. This should be a family that takes care of each other. And we want to do that, but we need your help. You can contact me, just let me know. I will get you to where you need to go. We want to come alongside and live shared lives like they did. Because what happened to those shared lives. The third thing, they had a shared mission. Because of their shared love, because of their shared lives for each other, it said that they had two things, favor and people were added daily to their numbers. That's the purpose. That's the mission of the church. We were placed here that we may share our faith, that we may tell others about the goodness of Christ. And they earned favor. We should be like superlative in all the things that we do by the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us to, you know, that we should live such good lives before the unbelievers that they'll praise our father in heaven. But also you have a unique story. Kids, kids and students, listen to me real quick. God has made you unique and not like anyone else who will ever exist and ever has existed. No one will have your unique DNA and no one will ever have your unique story of God's grace in your life. That's for all of us. We're called to share that. 
We are called to share this unique story of grace. What was happening with them is they loved each other as they shared about Jesus. Every day people came into their fellowship. Can you imagine if every day people came into our church because they came to know Jesus Christ for the first time? Because the same spirit that did that lives in you and lives in me. The same spirit, the same power, we have that. But the idea of sharing that is pretty scary for most of us. That's for like super Christian people. That's the missionaries deal with that. Well, to help you, because we're a church that longs to help you, and we believe that this is important, we have an elective this summer. How to share your everyday faith every day. Product placement. Did you like that? See how that worked out? Every day, if you want to know what does it look like to live what I think is a pretty normal, ordinary life for Jesus Christ and to share it with others, come. Come and see that this is not difficult. This is not daunting. This is not hard. It is the call of every Christian to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ and to be his witnesses. And we have the ability to do that. Now, how do we be people about devoted to shared worship and devoted to shared lives and devoted to shared mission. It's because these people like us were devoted to Jesus Christ. They realized what had been done for them. It was fresh in their hearts, fresh on their minds. And so often we forget, I forget the importance of the gospel, that what Christ has done for me when I was at my worst, while I was still a sinner, yet Christ died for me that the only response would be this life, that I give it to him. I willingly lay it down and say, I don't care what the world says any longer. I wanna be a part of a people that are about shared worship, that are committed to the word, that are committed to the table, committed to true, intimate, deep fellowship, committed to pray. I wanna be a part of a people that are care about each other so deeply because we share lives. And I want to be a part of a people who has a shared vision to communicate the gospel to people who need to hear it most. We have been forgiven much that we may share much of who we are to those who need it most.